You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Making memories here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation, as well as Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Most importantly, though, please follow our show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can join in on mailbags just like this one. That is what we are doing today, getting your questions answered. Got a few good ones. Uh, Honestly, not going to lie to you guys, would have appreciated a few more. Again, that is at Locked on PHX Suns. Uh, this week is going to be a little up and down. We don't know when the next game will be. I would love for your feedback to talk about what you want to hear about. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, so that you can make sure you get every episode. Maybe leave me a comment in the Apple reviews. Whatever you want to do to give your feedback is much appreciated. But uh, one more time, that is what we are doing, that mailbag. And Catherine Fitzgerald of the Arizona Republic, who has been covering the Suns during the playoffs. She's mostly uh, in and around the Cardinals, but during the offseason comes and piggybacks on the Suns beat, does a great job covering the everything around this team and has written some good stuff about the fan experience, has some more stuff coming, so she will join us momentarily. Today's show, folks, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it is only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned later in the show for the Ultra Player of the Week. Okay, so going to talk a lot about Chris Paul today. Um, And before I get to a question about Paul and the contract coming for him, um, I wanted to just What's on my mind today is the, and it's almost like something that we all know, we all know in the back of our heads that Chris Paul is a massive upgrade over Ricky Rubio. I think generally speaking that we all felt like this trade was worth making. I mean, there was some, some, uh, seller's remorse potentially about Kelly Oubre just with the way that he electrified this fan base and, and what he meant for the uh, environment around this team. But player-wise, talent-wise, culture-wise, I think most of us were on the same page that this thing made a lot of sense, and they gave up so little that it was truly worth it. But something I don't think I've hit on quite enough, frankly, during this playoff run is just where we're seeing the upgrade from Rubio to Paul come through. And I think that game four was an excellent, excellent example. Again, check out our recap show of that game that went up Monday morning with Brandon Duenas, uh, our Monday co-host, as always. But it was a double show. It was our normal Monday, but it was also a sweep show. So check it out down below this one in your feed. Um, But the game showed us that difference because we're seeing the ways in which Paul can impact the game that Rubio just can't. And they're not all obvious, so I'll just go through, for those of you who haven't taken a look recently, um, Chris Paul's playoff numbers, or numbers in that series, he played 36 minutes a game, which is pretty incredible considering we went into the series wondering how his health was going to hold up, scored 26 points per game, had 10.3 assists and 5 rebounds, 
That's coming off of a Lakers series where he didn't average even double digits per game. So it looks really good right now. And I'm not going to, of course, exaggerate that. But this is now 10 games for the Suns. Chris Paul has 12 steals in those games. So he's averaging over a steal per game as well and has 15, uh, 14 total turnovers in those 10 games. So barely one per contest. And those are some of the ways that I think you're going to see the Paul effect. Obviously, first and foremost, I think a great story was Anthony Slater in The Athletic this this week on Monday talking about uh, the run that Paul basically went on by himself to put the Suns over the top in the game, uh, in game four and, and in the series, made eight consecutive mid-range pull-up jumpers. It made me and a lot of folks, I think, uh, reminisce, remember back to the JJ Reddick podcast, the old man in the three show that Paul did preseason where he, he, he and JJ both just ripped up the drop coverage. And, um, it wasn't even that the nuggets necessarily drop all the time, although they do. And they did more so in this series than I think they normally do. But that's also because Chris Paul shredded their, their hedge coverage when, when Jokic would kind of shuffle his feet out to the perimeter. So, it made me think of that, and it also just, of course, again, made me think back to the the differences between this guy and, and Ricky Rubio, and it's just not a shot that Rubio is able to make. He can't make a pull-up three. He can't make a pull-up mid-range shot, at least nowhere near as consistently as, uh, as Paul can, and that was a, a shot he got asked about by Chris Haynes post-game, Chris Paul did. And he said, you know, I watched this drop coverage become popular around the league and I made myself get better at it. I made myself get to a point where I was going to, um, you know, make the defense pay when that was there. So that, of course, that that really changed everything for this this series when you were thinking about it, previewing it. Right. It was like, OK, so, you know, they don't really have a good answer for for Devin Booker. Maybe it'll be Aaron Gordon, but then that removes a help defender from the back line. And, you know, we know Aiton's had such a great series and or, or playoffs so far. And we know that the shooting is going to hold up for the Suns as it has all season. So it wasn't a great matchup in the first place, but it was like, you know, maybe Denver can score enough where if they can make this thing a 120-118 nightly thing, then that that they can hang in it. But the Suns just completely had a stranglehold on the pace and tempo of this series because Chris Paul was such an, a master in the pick and roll, did not allow the Nuggets to get out in transition because he did not turn the ball over. And he did not, you know, put up bad shots and 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 allow the offense to get bogged down really at all. So that stuff, it just was never going to be there. And I think everybody involved knew it, but it was never going to be there for this Suns team. And so with Rubio there, right? Um, and so again, it's it's the shot, but it's also that turnover piece. Rubio averaged 2.7 turnovers per game in the regular season with the Suns last year, had a 17.9 turnover percentage. Uh, that compared to, I believe Paul is averaging 1.6 turnovers uh 1.4 turnovers per game in the playoffs so far and I'll get you that percentage as well the turnover percentage is 9.7 so effectively half of where Rubio was 
last year. And you know why? It's because Rubio would get into these spots where he's not able to get his shot or or keep the defense um, rotating because they don't respect him as a scorer. So he would get under the basket and have to force up a bad shot, force up a bad pass, all these things, and it would ruin possessions. Is he efficient and smart and all the other things we know Rubio to be? Yes, but when those limitations can be game planned for, it's devastating. And then defensively, I I felt as if maybe one of the areas where we would see Paul be a little bit of a, at least not an improvement, if not maybe a little worse than Rubio was on the defensive end, because just the age and the fact that Paul's not really somebody you want to put at the point of attack anymore, you know, was he really going to be as impactful or more impactful than Rubio, who I thought with his size and his IQ was a really good help defender and in moments could do the point of attack thing a little bit more than Paul could. I felt like that might be something, but it's been the opposite. I mean, not the opposite, but Paul has been incredible, incredible in these playoffs and especially in this Denver series. How many times have you seen him just rip the ball from these guys' hands on the opposing team? It's it's really, really remarkable. Again, tw- uh, 12 steals, I believe, in 10 games and um, just putting on a real clinic against the Nuggets whenever they tried to get the ball to the middle of the floor and drive past the teeth of the Suns' defense. Chris Paul would, quite frankly, just give a big old nope to that. So that brings me to, just because I was thinking about that, I hope you guys are on that track with me. It was just such a big reminder of, okay, you know, we knew this would would be big, and I think it can be hard to quantify, okay, the guy you do have, this all-star, legendary Hall of Famer that you do have versus the old guy, you know, what does it really, really mean? And I'm sure there's analytics guys who could tell you to a more specific point than me, but... That, that game four really, to me, was like, okay, th- this was never going to be possible with the old Suns uh, with Rubio there at the point guard spot. That brings me to Matt Jewell's question, who asked, if the Suns lose in the West Finals in six or seven games, how much do you give Chris Paul? Same question, if they make the Finals. I actually don't think, Matt, it's at Matt Jewell 6, folks. If I don't think it's different if they lose in the West Finals versus lose in the Finals or, or win the Finals or any any of the different outcomes that are available to them. I think that you're looking at a situation where Paul is pretty likely to have some leverage just based on what he's already done for this team. As long, I would say the only caveat being if he were to re-aggravate an injury, um, that shoulder or just anything else and lose, uh, be, be out, be, be missing time during this remainder of the playoffs. Unless that happens, I don't think there's any reason he won't have a ton of leverage to come to the Suns this summer and say, I will opt out of my 46.4 uh, actually, forty-four point two, sorry, million dollar player option. If you give me an extended contract, and have a, every reason to believe that they will do that, so I, I still think that Kyle Lowry contract is the the baseline of what you would be looking at, which is three years and ninety million. I think um, you know maybe it goes up to as high as one hundred. The Suns would get a little bit of cap space, of course, uh, by doing that. It wouldn't put them under the cap and allow them to have a ton of money to spend, but it would allow them to be a little more flexible below the luxury tax. It would allow them to be a little bit more flexible in terms of taking in salary and trades, that type of thing. There's always value to clearing up that type of thing just in terms of building your roster out. And of course, next season, things would change a little bit where 
you would have to have, uh, we're going to talk about in the next segment, DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges extensions coming up. And you want to be flexible. You want to have the ability to change and manipulate the roster and the, the cap stuff if you want to. So Paul taking that, that lower salary would be helpful, provided he can be even close to this level of production going forward. I mean, you just think Kyle Lowry's level of production is far from elite, and yet no one really thinks of him as an overpay. He had a huge market at the trade deadline this year. So I still think between 90 or 100 million over three years. And the other thing is if if they could get it to be declining where it starts high next season and goes down from there, or at least that it's flat, that could be pretty helpful too, where you're not looking at more and more and more money over those three seasons, but something relatively workable there. Uh, That'll close us out on that one, guys. That was my main Chris Paul question. I know a lot of folks are wondering about it, but uh, more Chris Paul talk just around the corner because it is time for our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. That is Chris Paul. Chris Paul um, not only exemplified the joy and, and happiness that Michelob Ultra brings to people's lives, but also because Chris Paul is experiencing that himself. No one will forget, at least I will not anytime soon, the image of Paul and Monty coming off the court, embracing one another, Chris Paul hugging his father and his family after the game, um, even getting to do that walk-off, even talking post-game about how much he was enjoying the ability to prove himself once again at this extended age and uh, have the achievement speak for itself. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. No one is savoring these moments more than Chris Paul because I'm sure, like, look, he's he's thrilled and happy and proud of all of the things that he's done this season and for this franchise, but he knows that these opportunities do not come around every single year. It can be very difficult to uh, recreate a season like this. I mean, Suns fans have to know that, right? So, um, again, enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, crack open that Michelob Ultra the next time you tune into a Suns game. Who knows when that will be? But uh, again, guys, enjoy and enjoy these Suns. Okay, back here, talking through our mailbag show, Catherine Fitzgerald, coming up in just a moment. Great conversation with her. She was at the airport with these Suns um, and, and many, many fans previously Uh, on Sunday night, and she is here to tell us about it and what it was like. She interviewed folks who were there and how excited this season had made them, why they decided to go show up in the middle of the night with sometimes their kids and everything else. So uh, please, please stay tuned for that. Let's get to another question, though. First, it is Zach. Actually, let's go with Gareth at Gareth underscore gigs. Appreciate your questions. As always, Gareth, you've you've always uh, put some good ones in here. So thank you. Let's Look at this, though. He says, realistically, how much would it cost to bring this whole team back? Does Jalen Smith get salary dumped or someone else? Um, So I'm not sure where you're going with the salary dumping necessarily because, as we talked about on the previous segment, Chris Paul would be the main decision that would need to be made. Um, What what to do with that player option? That is, of course, his choice. And then if he were to decline it, what the contract would look like. I'm personally, I I don't see, I think it's a little silly, frankly, to be worried in any way about him leaving um, if he were to decline that option. I think it's really just more of what contract would the Suns give him. So I, I sort of see it this way. An easy way to measure this is 
Chris Paul could make, let's just use the 25% quote unquote max. It's not his max, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's at least a benchmark here that makes the math a little easier. He'd be at 28.1 million for the 21, 22 season. The contract would give him $91 million over three seasons. That would give the Suns a, a, a ton of extra cap space. It would put them $28 million under the luxury tax and they would have about, um, they'd be eight million over the cap. So obviously not in a position to go out and get a big fish, but it gives them the flexibility to do this, which is to sign Cameron Payne and, Cor- and Tory Craig. Mo- most importantly, those two. Maybe you keep Moore or Galloway or Kaminsky, but I think that Payne is is clearly a guy who has earned the ability to make more than just the minimum. And maybe Torrey Craig can negotiate his way to a contract not unlike what Javon Carter got. Even that, to me, seems... I don't know. I think that's reasonable, which which Carter is at $3.9 million starting. He makes about um, $12 million over the course of the three seasons of his deal. So let's say something like that for Craig. Let's say that it is uh, 3.5, and that puts us... Let's give him three, and then I actually do think that Cameron Payne would be in line for something in the neighborhood of eight million. But you're you're, you're so far under that luxury tax that it's not an issue. Um, that even if you put you put Craig at three and Payne at eight, that still gives you seventeen million dollars under the luxury tax. So to answer your question. Um, Gareth, I just don't see a, a world where the Suns have to cut anybody or dump anybody. Um, there's a chance that they could, you know, go out and try to improve their roster using Jalen Smith or some of these other players. But other than that, they have an, they have a few exceptions that they could use. Um, they have the mini mid-level, I no, they have the, um, they're not in the, in the tag. So they have the, the same thing that they used to get Jay Crowder. And they have uh, the biannual exception, which they did not use this past summer. So they have the the goods to go out and improve with some bit pieces there on the margins. And they won't really have to worry about the luxury tax unless Chris Paul either does not decline the option or if he somehow really negotiates something pretty impressive. Um, so that's that's that, Gareth. I hope that answers your question. They can bring back basically this entire playoff rotation without much of an issue, including Jalen Smith, who, of course, you would hope might become part of that playoff rotation in the years to come. Last question here before we get to Catherine, and it brings us to some playoff talk, which means that I am going to tell you guys that today on Road to the NBA Finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Final question here is from Zach Reed at Zach A. Reed. Shouts to you, Zach, as well for pointing out that the file of the other day was a little bit screwed up. I do appreciate that. I, um, I, it looked long enough to me, and I should have checked better, and then uh, I, I obviously was not correct. And so there was a few minutes off, and I hope everybody got to listen the correct way. But Zach's question is, with Aiton and Bridges both eligible for extensions this offseason, how have the playoffs influenced my perspective on both players? Um, a couple things here. Obviously, DeAndre has played incredible basketball. I think he has put himself in line for a much bigger contract than what I expected initially. Um, I actually think the 
Rudy Gobert contract in 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. Let me see here. Um, that's the one that I've always thought of as the high end. So that, if you remember, it had some incentive situation that was a little uh, wonky, but it was four years and $102 million base salary. And then he had about a million dollars of incentives. And then this year he actually had $2 million of incentives. This is the final year of that contract. He signed it actually in 2017, not 15. Um, so four years, $102 million. That to me feels pretty reasonable. I think that Gobert, Aiton is about at a Gobert level of play this season. Um, that, that Gobert was after the 2016-17 season, sort of the, you know, could he maybe win a defensive player of the year, you know, if, if everything goes really well for him. And um, I guess Gobert was probably further along on the defense, but Aiton, obviously, with his offensive excellence as well, the way he can you hopefully create a shot for himself someday, that's where I think he's in line for. I had I had in the past said Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez, these types of guys as the benchmark. I think Aiton has elevated what he's able to make. So I think... That's probably, if I was his agent, where I would, uh, I mean, I would start at a max, but uh, I would probably not go any lower than 4102 and maybe even a little higher just because the cap has, of course, gone up since 2017. As for Mikhail, I think I- I'm learning something about his mentality that I think is interesting. And, you know, he has been so excellent on this team. I- I'm not even here to criticize him, but I do wonder if you have a- an infrastructure where, Eight, uh, where, where Paul and Booker, sorry, are the obvious players that you're building around and the obvious superstars that are going to be the engine for your team. It feels to me like on one hand you had Aiton who, you know, his job's a little different, but he rose to the playoffs and, and got to this new level is um, taking upon more responsibility on both ends, is requiring less motivation, it seems like from his teammates and seems to have really thrived and found his his rhythm in a way that I'm not saying Bridges hasn't, but Aiton has sort of absorbed a bigger role in the playoffs in terms of responsibility, whereas it feels to me like Bridges is is sort of doing the same thing. And again, it's, it's leading to win, so it's not even a criticism. It's more to me a fact of look like... Um, is there a is there a path toward Bridges in the current construction of this team rising above what he's asked to do right now? It takes a very specific sort of mentality and infrastructure to be able to do that, and it's so hard, right? It's like, you know, you could easily make the case of like, well, no, Bridges should not be taking more of these shots because that's going to be taking away from a guy who just scored 37 in a in a closeout game and Chris Paul and a guy in the previous closeout game against the Lakers who scored 47, right? So it's, it's, it's hard to make the case that Bridges should be doing more, but I also wonder he's not this assertive, I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to do more whether you like it or not type of guy and it's one of the best things about him but I also wonder if that means that he maybe will not rise to the level of these superstar uh, wings right maybe he will not be a Paul George or even like a Pascal Siakam these guys who exist and thrive as a role player and then have a coming out party. At the very least, I don't know if that will come until after Chris Paul is gone and this team starts to take a different form. So to me, his stock has maybe taken a slight hit. 
I still think the high end is that Jalen Brown contract, but I, I think I'm less bullish that he does that and probably feel a little bit more like he's in line for the Jonathan Isaac contract in the 80s, you know, 20 low 20s per year million annually seems like where he's going to land. That hopefully answers your question, Zach. Uh, I think stock up on Aiton, stock a little bit, tiny bit down on Bridges is probably where I am. All right, let's get to Catherine. The best part of the show, I will not belabor things anymore. Just want to take you really quickly through betonline.ag's fantastic platform. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action, whether that's baseball, NBA, NHL, the NFL not too far away somehow. I feel like I've been uh, doing these ads for so long and getting so excited about BetOnline that I ended one uh, football season and now we are almost to another. I'm already starting to think about fantasy and everything else, but of course, there's a ton to bet on in the NFL universe over at Bet Online as well. Futures, MVP, conference odds, who's going to make the Super Bowl, who's going to win the Super Bowl. You probably can find something on where Aaron Rodgers is going to play. So go take advantage of all of it, guys. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. What you're going to do is make an account on betonline.ag's website or their mobile app. And when you put your first deposit in, use the promo code locked on to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. Again, Use the promo code locked on when you make your first deposit to get a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show also brought to you by Rock Auto. There are too many, frankly, types of cars at this point. It feels needlessly complicated, and that can make things a little bit more difficult for you to just get that part that you need and know it's going to fit right, work right, and be affordable. Sometimes you end up buying the, the souped-up version of something because you just don't know what, what it is that you're supposed to be looking for. Rock Auto simplifies that entire process. You don't have to go talk to a dealership or even a, a salesman at, a, at a, a parts shop because even those guys are going to try to make money off of you. Sometimes they're making commissions just like a dealership would. So cut that all out. Cut all of it out of your life. Go to rockauto.com a family business that has been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They make it seamless. They make it cheap. The prices are the same every single time you visit, and you do not even need an account to log on, let alone a subscription. So why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts that you can find anywhere else, folks? Go to rockauto.com, get those cheap prices, and go make it easy. Again, rockauto.com is the place and they have everything you need for your car or truck. And when you make your purchase, you're going to use the, they're going to write in locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Again, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. An amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Joined now by Catherine Fitzgerald of AZ Central Sports and the Arizona Republic, who I wanted to have on because uh, I'm Catherine, I'm kind of at this point with the level of chaos, uh, good, good chaos, but I don't know another word for it within this fan base, both on the internet, in ball arena and, uh, and at airports apparently now where it's kind of like, I don't know if you've had this experience of like being at a concert and there's like moshing or maybe at a sporting event when things start to like, there's a point where it crosses where it's like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that's kind of where I am with this fan base. Um, you were at the airport on Sunday night as the, the fans welcomed home the Western Conference finalist Suns. Give us your thoughts from being there and just uh, 
as somebody who is well-versed in the craziness that has gone on online in these arenas and everything else, what you make of, of the way this fan base has reacted. Yeah, definitely. It was really fun to see um, what it was like out there. I was kind of 50-50 trying to decide if I would pop over to check it out. And I was glad I went just to see people's reactions. Um, you could tell, you know, it was still like 95 degrees. People were trying to figure out like where it actually stands. So it was kind of a bit of buildup and um, it was hot. Like I, I was tired. I was hot and all that. And people were so excited. Um, even just to be there at the start, there were cheers and chants well before the sun's plane even landed. Um, lots of posters, flags, someone brought their own boom box. So it was kind of just like a, a fun gathering for that bit. And then once the sons were coming out in their cars, it was, you know, like a chaotic good energy of just everyone trying to see them, um, guys stopping to talk a little bit out their windows. DeAndre Ayton was out the sunroof of his car, like so much was happening and it was really fun and just so rewarding for these fans who have, have seen the team be pretty down for a while and, you know, talking to some people too about how the last year outside of basketball has been so hard and now they get this chance to kind of double celebrate things um, is really exciting. So yeah. I think it was just a culmination of a lot all at once and, you know, still a lot to go too, which is exciting. For sure. I can't even imagine what these games will be like. It feels like there's been a build of game by game, the energy. I, I keep thinking, wow, this is probably the loudest I've ever heard it. And then I'll show up to the next home <laughs> game and, and the record is broken again. But um, give, give me a sense. How many people were there at, at the most at kind of the peak attendance, if you will? Um, where do you go for that? Like I've, I'm, I've never done that. I don't even know, like, how did people know where to be? I, I really was like, all of a sudden I opened Twitter as I was getting ready to go to sleep because I'm apparently washed. And that was when I was getting ready to go to sleep. <laughs> and I was like, how, how did this happen? Like, how did this come together? I just turned off the game an hour ago and all of a sudden people are already uh, coming together. Just continue to paint the picture. Cause I am completely clueless. Yeah, I'm bad at estimating crowd sizes, to be honest, but like definitely hundreds um, and, you know, kind of lining the street at a certain point um, with like a, a larger group near where the cars were coming out. But to to go back a little before that, I had seen it on Twitter that, um, you know, fans were planning to go to a particular part of the airport where I guess private planes land and people can leave that way. So um it wasn't just like pulling up to a terminal or anything like that. But that being said, when I was driving there, I like I cut through a totally empty parking lot that my GPS took me through. And I was very much like, okay, it's kind of late at night. Like you're by yourself and don't see any people. Is this, is this really happening? Um, but then finally found the like little parking lot where a bunch of people were and people continue to arrive um, based mostly off social media. I'm I'm pretty sure at one point I heard someone kind of like yelling to the crowd, like who found out about this on Twitter, who found out about this on Facebook. And then they followed up with mm -hmm. who found out about this on MySpace." Um, <laughs> so it was just really funny too. People were, you know, so excited and um, just proud of the team, but also having a lot of fun with it as well. So people had their brooms out. There were um, some 
chugging with the fellas moments, just like a lot of uh, lighthearted energy too, where uh, it made it really fun. Yeah. Like just to kind of close out there, what I'm not to be too like, you know, emotional about it. Cause again, this, there, this is not the end of things, but like you said, I think what struck me that, that it sort of like the times when it's really hit me, I guess, like we saw some, yeah, some public, some public drinking going on at that airport terminal, which uh, is all, is all in good fun and everything else. But like to see the like kids or just people that are decked out in sun stuff that have like gear, like I saw flags that I didn't, I don't even know if that's actually an item that's ever been made for sale. I feel like they made it themselves. I don't even know where any of this stuff is coming from. And then people just showing up, sharing that moment together, like you said, after uh, not only a, a crappy year in general, but a crappy year that, that stole sports away from all of us. And, you know, last year with the bubble, that wasn't in Arizona. So people couldn't be part of that, even right. though I do think it had a similar level of uh, anticipation and excitement from the fan base. So um, that, that, that part has been really cool. Seeing how many people were in the, the building in Denver was pretty, pretty insane. Um, were, were, you said you talked to a few people. What was that sort of spirit like of like, kind of being let out of the cage a little bit and finally getting to enjoy this. Yeah. One thing I really loved hearing was um, from a bunch of parents who were bringing their kids to be like, I'm a lifelong Suns fan. I have these memories growing up and now my kids are finally getting to see this too. And I thought that was really cool. There were some really, really young kids where I was like, oh, if I'm tired, you must be so tired. But um, (laughs) that kind of generational bridge where you know, some of these kids that I talked to, they are huge Suns fans, but they haven't, you know, seen a season like this since they've been born. And I think just getting to have that moment um, and have it passed down was, was really cool to watch. And then as far too, as you mentioned, of just kind of this, you know, how it's been bubbling up for so long and now people are finally getting to, to celebrate a bit more like before. I think that was really powerful too. I, talked to someone who works in healthcare and they were saying how, you know, this last year, year and a half has been so, so grueling that there, there haven't been too many times to celebrate in general, but now being a Suns fan and seeing that happen at kind of the same time that we're starting to get back to more normal things. um, Just that, that parallel was really powerful to them of, you know, we've made it through so much. And now mm-hmm. here I am hugging strangers because my team is crushing it in a way that they haven't in so long. And I get to see it in person. I get to, you know, fist bump DeAndre Aiden through his car. So I think the kind of all of that happening at once really stood out to me. For sure. It's uh, it's exciting. I think people are, the fan base is, is definitely rising to the moment in a way that I did not expect. I Honestly, having shouted into the void about this team for as long as I have, when uh, I promise you, very many fewer people were paying attention. It has been awesome to see how this. I mean, this this particular brand of basketball, this the culture that and and the way that this team goes about its business, I think has a lot to do with why it has captured people's attention so much. And you know, people people who listen to this show have probably been diehards all along, but just in general, it is very cool to think like I saw a a stat that uh, actually a Cronkite news reporter over at ASU had that he dug into the Google news um, 
trends and saw that okay. they rate things on a scale of one to a hundred and people in the Bahamas are off the charts Googling this team because <laughs> of DeAndre Ayton. Like how cool yeah. is that to think about that, that this, this insane run is, it, you know, just the ripple effects that it can have is, is cool to see it in person and everything else. Um, but that'll close us out guys. Catherine wrote a guide that I think everybody should read on joining the sun's bandwagon. Even if you're already on it, it was uh, very funny and enjoyable to um, dive into, and you can follow all of her work at AZ Central and the Arizona Republic. Anything specific you want the people to read, Catherine? Any final thoughts on uh, Suns and Four bandwagon we got going here? Uh, no, starting to work on some stuff, kind of, of you know, seeing this fan base finally have this moment. So I would say stay tuned for that. But um, yeah, it's it's been exciting to see all this happen, having my first year covering the team was 2018. So quite a shift over that time and uh, just excited to keep chronicling what I see next. All right, folks, that does it for Tuesday. We'll keep this thing going. I can't even tell you what what to watch for because we don't know when the next game will be, but keep it right here. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we will be back every single morning.